This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a, a, a retiree, and I'm also a volunteer with NTEU Chapter 49. Uh, so far, we're going to try to bring some other people in in the future, but so far it's been a discussion between myself and NTEU Chapter 49 President Duncan Giles. Uh, he and I are in different places. I am in my home uh, rec- with my recording equipment, and Duncan is in his office in downtown Indianapolis. So, Duncan, uh, we've actually been able to successfully uh, do this for more than a month. So far, so good. Nobody's been throwing stones at us yet. So, yeah, no, no, uh, uh, no, no libel suits, no slander, no, no, no uh, complaints. So, uh, uh, we do appreciate everybody listening, and we will add that uh, if you know of anyone who might enjoy listening to this, I think the information that we're putting out as of use to others, please you know, send a link or just let people know. Uh, you can find it on our uh, uh, Facebook page. There's a link every week to it. Our Facebook page is NTEU Chapter 49 Indiana. Make sure you put the Indiana at the end. Uh, also, if you want to look, we're on several platforms, but as part of several podcasts that I produce for various different people, including myself, and uh, you have to, if you can go to other platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or iTunes, just uh, go. If you want to search there, just uh, search under podcast by Larry Landon, and you'll find this on, amongst all the other podcasts I produce. So, with that out of the way, Duncan, it's been another week. Uh, what is it? There used to be a fellow I knew in New York who said, uh, working for the IRS is just another day in paradise. Something like that. Uh- <laughs> And I, uh, I just, I don't know why that stuck in my mind, but it did. But we have another week under our belt, and I, and I think that one thing we have not talked about at all, and it's a national issue, um, it's the 2021 pay raise. The Congress, although the Congress, you know, is what it is, it does have responsibility to put a budget together, and you never know when that's going to happen. Rarely it's on time. Usually it's several months later and uh, usually a a hurry-up job when they finally have to get it done or there's a shutdown. It's been a very complicated process for several years now. But uh, the pay raise for federal employees is a part of any budget package. I've been seeing some very disturbing signs of uh, what may or may not happen with the federal employee pay raise. As a retiree, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get, receive a raise. What about the employees who are still employed? What's the what's the outlook right now? Well, that's why I wanted to talk about it today, Larry, because I'm with you. I'm seeing some very disturbing signs. Uh, we have to keep in mind that we are in the middle of a historic pandemic that nobody knows how to handle whatsoever. And the fact that we've gotten right now, as we take this, massive unemployment. And I, to be honest with you, I think Congress is not going to have an appetite for a federal employee pay raise, especially in an election year where they're also going to benefit from the raise. If we get one, I'm thinking it's somewhere in the range of 1%, but I'm thinking there's a very good chance that there would be a freeze this year and no pay raise. Of course, you're assuming that the budget will be done on time if it's before the election. Uh, Technically, the budgets are supposed to begin by October 1st. They rarely are. 
And uh, so I, yeah, the election will probably have something to do with it, at least in the early stages. And I, and I think we all need to sort of prepare ourselves for the fact that there may be no pay raise in 2021. And I, I saw Mike Causey, who's been writing about federal employee issues for eons and is about as experienced at, and uh, as anybody at this. And I know he spoke at one of the NTEU conventions uh, that you attended. And then his, his latest column pretty much says don't count on a pay raise. Yeah, that's one of the places I've seen it. I've also heard uh, whispers from when we do uh, outreaches to congressional offices to talk about issues. They're just, it, it just would be bad optics, I think they believe more than anything. Do I think that we deserve pay raises? Absolutely, especially for all the folks who've been out there working from home every single day. But I just think that chances that the signs are right now pointing to not much, if any, pay raise at all. Well, uh, let me ask you something else here, kind of getting a little closer to home. Um, we are, uh, I'm just, I've been following uh, what I know, and you've, uh, you're very good at keeping me in the loop, but there's a lot going on with the three states that are opening uh, in, in the next few days, uh, Kentucky, or maybe they already have, you can feel maybe I'm behind, but Kentucky, Utah, and Texas are beginning the opening of offices. As you mentioned, there are campuses or near campuses in all of those states, but there are also, you know, field offices where people, revenue officers, revenue agents, taxpayer assistance centers are located and POD'd in there. So uh, I guess the question I would ask is, first of all, do we have any idea how these openings are working? If they're not working, uh, what's what's the scuttlebutt you've received on the early uh, returns on that? Well, they're scheduled to kick off on uh on Monday, next, actually Sunday for some of the overnight workers. So they're getting ready to open. They have not reopened yet. It'll be a June 1st reopening for most of them. What I am hearing, though, is that the main driver, of course, on these are the campuses. Um, they're going to try and continue to do uh, as much as possible. From When I talk about that, I'm talking about the posts of duties out there. Uh, the exam folks in SBSE, I know that they're looking at them to continue working remotely until at least the middle of July, if not longer. Uh, they're also trying to transition to doing electronic uh, work for just about everything. You know, you're still going to have your in-person visits. How those are going to be handled, we don't know yet. How are revenue officers going to be able to go out and knock on doors? We don't know when that is going to occur, how long from now. But it's it's going to be an uh, interesting process. But once the states open up, it's not going to be open up the floodgates and everybody coming back in. The TAC employees will not be meeting face-to-face -face with uh, taxpayers. They'll be doing other types of work, correspondence type of work, things of that nature. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of work to do, so there'll be no no shortage of work. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's as you said this before, that there's no prospect in the near future of the taxpayer assistance centers opening up for the taxpayers to come in and 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 uh, interact with the IRS employees one on one. So uh, that's the way it looks for the foreseeable future, even if there is work for those folks to do. So I want to ask you one thing related to that, because. Even the revenue officers, revenue agents, field people who have been working telework or the 
tell, you know, the, the flexi places, we called it before then, uh, they always had responsibilities to come into the office. I think so many days per pay period. You can fill me in on what the details are because I know what it used to be and I'm not sure what the contracts call for now. But in that regard, right now, obviously, these RAs and ROs are not coming into the office. As these offices open up, do we know whether management will then begin to kick those contract provisions in and start requiring people to physically come into the office uh, so many days per pay period? Oh, absolutely, because the IRS has a very definitive plan on how everything is going to work. <laughs> and if you believe that, it's too early to, you know, we're day drinking. Um, no, actually, it's it's... And that's not a fault of the IRS. That's a play it by ear. Nobody knows exactly how this is going to work. Um, you know, there's still the specter of what's going to happen when the fall turns. Uh, you know, is the uh, coronavirus going to kick back up in places where the curve is flattened? And when we say the curve is flattened, that doesn't mean it's it's stopped dead. That there's still cases ongoing. You know, as we tape this. There were 37 more deaths reported today um, in the state of Indiana. So the coronavirus is still out there and it's still biting. And so we they have to be very mindful of that as well. So it's still a very much a play it by ear type of situation. Yeah, I you know, I've been trying to follow this as well. And I remember um, Dr. Christina Box, who's the state health commissioner. You know, the everything was looking good yesterday or the day before or whenever they had the last briefing. And she was saying, well, you know, uh, yeah, it's looked, the last few days have looked good, but let's get a few more days in. Well, we're getting some, some other days in, and, and they're not necessarily the best. And we also have to remember, and I only know this because I know a few people in, in you know, health department work uh, in the state of Indiana, you know, sometimes – they're very slow in getting the numbers in. Sometimes you don't, if somebody dies, you don't know if it was coronavirus. Good example was I live in Hamilton County, Indiana. Uh, two days ago, uh, the state health department had 92 deaths from Hamilton County related to coronavirus. But yet the next day it was 91 deaths. Why? Because they had thought they had somebody whose cause of death was coronavirus, went back and checked, and it turns out that person died of something else. So... You know, the numbers are what they are, and, 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 and I think we need to just understand that we have to keep a – it's not just what happens over a few days. It's a trend over a long period of time. And that's correct, and that's why I think they're still going to be very flexible with the two days per pay period requirement to show up. There's, I think that they will be directing employees to the office more frequently uh, to do things like mail, pick up work things of that nature, but I don't think it's going to be a uh, necessity as it was before where you have to spend full days into the office every pay period. I don't see that happening for quite a while. Yeah, and I, I, I'm wondering if they're, <laughs> if they're going to have a task force using reverse uh, seniority to figure out who's going to go through the mail. We talked about that last week. Some some people in uh, groups have volunteered to do it. Apparently, they want to get out of the house a little bit and, uh, you know, come down to the office and do some mail for a couple of hours. I've seen that in a couple of different groups in a couple of different divisions. So that's already been happening. But it it literally takes a, uh, a high up act, an OK from a 
at least second level manager, if not executive, to go into the offices if you're not deemed essential. Well, let's uh, talk about another kind of office, a call center. We have a call center in Indianapolis, and uh, that's that's been the focus of, of some, some issues as well. Uh, there'll be a point in time, we don't know when it will be, and if people think they know, if they say they know, they don't, because there's really no way of knowing at this point as to when call centers will generally be opening back up. Uh, centers particularly like, like the one in, in Indianapolis. So when those doors open, what will? how do you think that's going to unfold? We don't know when, but again, we may not know a lot, but what have you been able to glean from your sources, discussions with people within the union and people in management? How do you think that will unfold? Uh, for call sites and actually for PODs as well, depending upon how much space there is in the POD, social distancing is going to be still very much a key factor. They're going to want to make sure that they have enough room between people where there's not a chance of, uh, you know, an active uh, contagion situation type of thing. Um, I think, and again, I'm saying I think, these are all educated guesses, that they are going to look at, on people back, they will look at, and are on duty PODs. They'll also look at people situation right now, certifying if you're meaning you, you know, uh, according to the CDC, that you have, you know, age or certain medical conditions or susceptible to virus. And I think they're going to also be taking that into account. One of the things that I've heard that disturbs me, but I would have bet my bottom dollar that it was coming was, you know, we are getting more and more of the first-time teleworkers, people who've never teleworked before, especially uh, call sites, but there are some field people who have never teleworked before. And what I've started hearing the last couple of days is that these people who haven't, even though they're teleworking now, they're going to still be called back into the office, even though the teleworking is uh, more or less successful. And as a couple of management folks, you're going to have a very tough time putting that genie back in the bottle if you're saying our system can't support it, we don't have enough broadband, our IT folks are not able to handle this. Well, you're handling it right now, so tell me why you won't be able to in the future. Well, yes, and you've mentioned this several times in, in some of our past podcasts when the management kept pleading that they had no bandwidth or uh, technical capability to, to allow call center people to work out of their homes. Um, you've got some data now, do you not? We do have data, and they're uh, gathering it more at the national office. I've been in contact with National NTU over the last couple of days about this, assisting them with some of this type of situation. And that's that's been the use that they're now starting to come up with. So that's why I'm starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel where they're going to start calling people back if they're wanting to already talk about pulling back people from telework. So uh, as we see what happens in these three states opening up and how that works, uh, the next step will be opening up uh, either nationwide or in, in other states. Where do you see Indiana falling into the scheme or is there any clue as to how we may fall into that? 
it's it's almost like reading tea leaves at this point because depending upon the executive that I talk to, um, again, it's sort of like the blind man, the blind man feeling the elephant. Depending upon what party's feeling it, you know, you'll be able to guess what animal it is. It's uh, very difficult right now. Some I've heard that they once they're getting ready to open, they may do a, another scattered couple of states that would involve more large either call sites or service centers, or they may decide hey, we're going to open up the vast part of the rest of the country, and Indiana would be included. In Otherwise, if they do it as a phase thing, I would think uh, would be among the last third of the states that would reopen just because of size and what we have. So it's just depending, but I, I it's starting to come down the pike pretty quickly. I think that by, um, I think by the middle of June, they're going to announce that they're going to be opening more. And now how many more states or how many more PODs or service centers? I don't know size that it's going to be. But I'd say it's very possible by the 4th of July that we could be looking at just about everybody being reopened in one fashion or another. Yeah, and that's, I think, one fashion or another is the key because, and you mentioned this earlier, that, you know, in your experience of talking to people and trying to keep up with, with everything that's happening and the briefings at the national level that the National Union has received from, from the management and their conference calls, what does reopening mean because uh, are we still going to be socially distancing? I saw a very interesting uh, piece on one of the cable news shows this morning that basically said, you know, uh, it takes it has taken minimum four to five years to put a vaccine together for something like this in the past. Now, there are more people working on this one. It's a wider issue, and, and maybe that could be more quick and more quickly done. But I think what I'm hearing, Duncan, and there are some very astute medical professionals who are saying we may live with this in some fashion for years. So with that in mind, we know what we have now. What does reopening mean? I mean, if you say, okay, come back in the office, but can we take everybody back in the office, half the people in the office at a time, uh, teleworking mixed into that? Um, Any clue as to what the service means by reopening? Uh, again, you're talking to different people, and I have not had a conversation with the commissioner. Um, I did try once, but... Uh, <laughs> well, you did talk to the commissioner one time a while back. I, well, yeah, I'm talking about recently. Okay. I to executives left and right to try and get information um, about what's going on, because I've dealt with a lot of them over the years and just try and figure out exactly what's happening, what they know, what they're willing to share, what they don't know. And a lot of them will be very upfront and say, right now, we just don't know what we're going to do. I think reopening is not going to be business as it always was. I think it's going to be different. I think you're going to have a certain percentage of people who are going to now be very rarely in the office. I think a lot of them are going to be full-time telework from home. I think they'll be able to get around, uh, pass some uh, legislation so they can get around the twice a pay period. And I, I think that they're going to just try and play this smart because they know that this could flare back up 
you know, we, we're, when you're seeing now where some of the places that have opened back up and the crowds that are gathering in them, um, you know, the Lake of the Ozarks party was one of those that I just looked at in abhorrence with as many people crowded around there or the beaches, things of that nature, because a lot of people may catch it, may catch COVID-19, don't know they have it and pass it along to people who are more susceptible to having more severe reaction to it. So I think the service is mindful of that because we do have a seasoned workforce and that they're going to understand that they need to make sure that we keep as much of the seasoned workforce working rather than sick possible. And, and yeah, you bring something up that's very important. Uh, seasoned workforce is, is a kind way of saying we're older. <laughs> and, and, and what that means is there are more people at IRS or probably a lot of other workplaces where there are so many people who hit that at-risk category, either through age or a combination of age and, and health risks or just health risks. So with all that in mind, again, reopening, what does it mean? Are you going to force people who have these risks that are in these risk categories to come in and risk their health? That has yet to be determined, as I understand it. That That is correct. That's going to be down the road. How far down the road, we just don't know. But, you know, and I also want to make sure that nobody's gaming the system because, you know, you're going to be self-certifying that you have these high-risk symptoms or conditions. And if they come back and say, okay, we want documentation, because right now they're not asking for any sort of documentation. You're self-certifying. But if they come back and want documentation and you can't say, prove that you've had these underlying conditions, that's not going to be good. So if you do have them, you want to be absolutely upfront and say that, you don't have to specify what it is at this point. Just certify that you do qualify for what the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, defines as high-risk categories, and that's available on their website. Yeah, and there's a list of them, and if you can certify you um, are being treated for any of those or suffering from any of those, that's the key. And, yes, I know you've had some correspondence uh, with some of the uh, employees in Indiana who are concerned uh, just about uh, – just about recording their time to make sure that uh, they are doing things correctly by the book, by the rules. And there are some, how should I put it, gray areas that it's making it difficult. These employees do not want to be in a position for somebody to come back later and say you falsified a document. They they absolutely don't want to do that. And and I think that's another aspect of this. Want to make sure everything is up and up, and and you you document everything that needs to be documented and record your time the proper way. Yeah, clarifying. If you have a question, clarifying with your manager is always very good. Contacting me or a, another union steward or officer is another way to uh, get that information because we want to make sure that everybody is doing things right. And a lot of times, what these managers are doing. Uh, the frequently asked questions that the IRS uh, puts out change. Some of them change daily. And I know that manage, uh, a lot of them are not keeping up on it, whether they don't have time or don't know what they're at or haven't been told by those above them to keep in touch with those frequently asked questions. I don't know. 
but sometimes what may have been correct two weeks ago is not correct now. So they have to make sure that they're doing things right. And if employees have questions, make sure that you document that you've contacted your manager, you've talked to your manager, emails, so that you're covering yourself. One thing that you have brought up several times, and uh, you want to bring it up again today, sadly, it's still an issue out there. If you're teleworking in whatever job it might be, and then you run out of work, again, remind people what happens then. We've had a couple of different issues on this one. One is if you run out of work, and I think we've pretty much got this nipped in the bud. I know we've pretty much got it nipped in the bud in Indiana, but it's still sprouting up across the country, is that sometimes there are managers out there saying, well, if you run out of work, you have to go on leave. No, no, no. Big N. Uh, that doesn't happen. You ask for more work. You run out of work. You say, I need more work. Can managers tell you, direct you to go to uh, your post of duty to pick up work, if that's the type of work that you do that you need to pick up those paper files, absolutely that they can. Even if your POD is closed, quote unquote, they can direct you in there to do that. And you do get that commuting time, that's time on the clock to go back and forth to get that information. Oh, so that, is, that is not commuting time. That's actually uh, on the clock time then. During, during this pandemic situation, it is on the clock time if you are directed to go into work to pick up the uh, files or whatever it is that you need while you're basically full-time telework 100%. The other situation that we have is if you do run out of work and you let your manager know and ask for more work and your manager does not assign you any work, then legally at this point they have to put you on weather and safety leave. So don't be saying, okay, I'm out of work, so I have to take my own leave. If your manager tells you that, contact me immediately. I will fix that. Okay. One thing you learn in a situation like this is some uh, the National Union particularly, there are times they want to get in touch with uh, their members. And uh, the, the, uh, the union is finding out that some members m maybe don't update their addresses, their email addresses, their personal information that the union at the national level needs. Uh, and, we, and locals can also tap into that. But, uh, you know, you find out that maybe you don't have everything up to date. People forget when you update your address or whatever other information with management, it does not get communicated to NTEU. So tell, tell us about how NTEU is encouraging people to update their information on that database. Yeah, exactly what you said. It's very important if to get information out. You know, NTU sends out a lot of information nationally. We will use sometimes locally these lists, and we need to have updated information, your address and especially your email address. We want to make sure both of those are correct. So what national office doing right now is they are going to be running a contest, so to speak, for a month for those that make sure that they update their uh, their information. They're going to be three 100 drawings for three $150 um, Visa card. So, you know, you want to make to do it not just for the incentive, but to make to update your information so we get can get information to you. 
Yeah, and that's a very quick way for the National Union to communicate uh, with you, uh, the member, uh, through email and through the regular mail. So um, it's it's in your interest uh, to do this. So uh, just just uh, and by the way, you can check it very easily if you. Uh, most of us are online at home. Uh, just go to nteu.org if you've not signed up. It's very easy to register if you're a member. And if you are a member, go in and check your information on there and make sure it's up to date. It's really not difficult. If you do run into any problems, talk to any union steward or just contact Duncan. So one last thing I want to talk about, you've mentioned this in some a couple, one or two of our past uh, podcasts. That's the climate survey. I understand there's been an extension on that. Talk about the importance of participating in the climate survey. Yeah, I think the Pulse Climate Survey is important. This is different than the regular FEV survey. This is only like six questions, basically finding out where your head is at right now. And that changes week to week. You can take the survey uh, once a week. And I encourage people to take it. Let them know what's going on with it. I am peripherally involved with this survey. And I can tell you that the results of this are being shared not just with the uh, human capital but the commissioner has also asked for and been briefed and seen results on this, including some of the very specific answers. So they they want to know how employees are feeling. Now, is anything going to change because of that? I'm not promising that at all. I'm just saying that it is getting noticed. And if you feel that you're not getting good communication from your manager or that you're disheartened about something, or that you're feeling good about being able to do that and you feel you're more productive working from home full time. They want to know all these things so they know to how to better keep everyone engaged. So I would strongly urge everyone to continue to take that. The link will be uh, sent out with the internal IRS email. It's also available externally. Um, does not have to be in the IRS firewall. So People who are right now on weather and safety leave can take it as well. Just basically trying to figure out where everybody's feelings are at at a specific point in time. Well, and it does give the union data too, and you're pushing a particular issue, so it, it has importance there. But I don't know how <laughs> I'd feel if I was advantaged, but in trying to find out where people's heads are at. So speaking of that, Duncan, where's your head at today? My head at is um, is actually very uh, very even keeled, which is a good thing today. Um, not much is blown up. The uh, but you know as we've been recording this, I just see something where SBSE is going to be sending out something to revenue officers, uh, randomly selected for a uh, financial analysis survey. So it's it's one of those things where. Are parts of the organization starting to maybe move a little bit and saying, we can't do things the same way we've always done it? Is there a better way to do it, a more um, quicker technology way to do it? You know, I'm, I'm all for those types of steps. If we can, if there's a better way to do this, by all means, it's easier for employees. It's less paperwork for everybody, but still to achieve the same result, let's get to that. But I make sure that everybody is staying safe and healthy as well. That's that's the main thing. Right. Stay safe, stay healthy, do as directed by uh, the health professionals. And if you think your health is at risk, uh, 
talk to you or one of your stewards or officers uh, if you think there's something untoward. But uh, any final message uh, that you need to let people know uh, where everything's at right now? I think we've done a pretty good job of trying to cover the major issues. Any last thought uh, as we run out of time here? I just want everybody to stay strong. Everyone in Indiana is doing a great job. I mean, they really are. Everybody is pushing, doing the best that they can. And just don't don't let the pandemic get you down. It's it's going to to a certain degree, but don't get inside your own head. If you're, you know, in with a group of people during this pandemic, you know, get out, take a walk by yourself. You're by yourself. That's a, an issue reach out to somebody that you can talk to because everybody is here for everybody else. And we just want to make sure that we get through this in good shape. And the employee assistance program is out there. As we mentioned before, if you need help, need somebody to talk to uh, the the first few, to, uh, I think the first five uh, discussions or visits are free. Duncan Giles, thank you once again. Uh, we, uh, if all goes well, we'll talk to you again next week. So please take care. Good to talk to you again. Thank you, Larry.